Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for being the God of Abraham and in this book showing us all that that meant. And so we pray, Lord, like the songs says, Hail Abraham's God and mine, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you would turn now to the greatest chapter in the book of Genesis. Boy, I've looked forward to saying that. Uh, <laughs> which is Genesis chapter 22, please. And we're going to just read here the first four verses uh, as a little bit of uh, ambition. We actually won't get through all four of these verses, but we're going to read them anyway. Uh, Genesis 22, verses 1 through 4. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee unto the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him. Isaac his son clave the wood for the burnt offering, rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. All right, now, here we come to Genesis 22. And before we leave, just, just to kind of look back a little bit to get a little bit of review and see what we've seen here in Genesis chapter 21, we remember that in the previous chapter, because we've got to tie this in, the previous chapter we saw the miraculous birth of Isaac. We saw in that chapter the celebration weaning of Isaac. We saw in that chapter Ishmael mocking Isaac. We saw in that chapter the rage of Sarah who demanded the casting out and de facto the death of Ishmael and Hagar. We saw the deep grief of soul that Abraham had. We saw the actual casting out of Ishmael and Hagar. We saw how God preserved the life of Hagar and Ishmael. And then we saw Abimelech coming to Abraham. Why did Abimelech come to Abraham? What was the reason? Verse 23, to make peace, to make peace, to make a covenant of peace. Abraham then brought up to Abimelech a sore issue. What was the sore issue that Abraham brought up to Abimelech? Verse 25. His well was violently taken away. His servants, Abimelech's servants, they, they violently took away his well. You think there's any relationship? You think there's any relationship between a stolen well of Abimelech and then Abimelech wanting to come and make peace? You think? <laughs> yes, that relationship becomes clear when you see Abimelech's over-the-top denial in Genesis 21-26 that he knew nothing about the stolen well. No one ever told him. Abraham didn't ever tell him because you can see right through him. So Genesis is a, uh, Genesis 21 is a very rough chapter for Abraham. And Abraham had to deal with all these situations. He had to deal with the situation of the rage of a jealous wife, Sarah. He had to deal with the situation of the deep grief of having to put his son and and this and his son's mother out in the desert to die. He had to deal with the theft of his well. He had to deal with the lies of Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. But this was all part of God's school of faith that Abraham had enrolled in ever since God called him to in Genesis chapter 12. 
So with all these rough courses in God's school of faith, they were all like training courses and tests for Abraham that Abraham had to pass. And each one of those courses had one simple question, just one question. It all boiled down. Every trial that Abraham went through, every trial that you and I go through, has one simple question, and that was, would Abraham turn to God or would Abraham turn away from God? And that's the question that's always on the line. And we see how Abraham passed those tests one after another. And it says in verse 23, verse 33, Genesis 21, 33, the last verse, and it says there, and Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Those words in verse 33 tell it all. Abraham called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. See, verse 33 is where we see Abraham as our father. This is the shining example of Abraham as our father. See, we don't want to copy him lying about his, his wife, but here we want to copy him and to say the whole chapter for what we saw in 21 were just like waves we saw it before, waves of trouble that came one right after the other. And after each one of them, we saw that Abraham, he, he may have got knocked down, but he got back up again. Just as it says in Proverbs 24, 16, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. So that verse in Proverbs 24, 16, it, it shows us that there's a difference between the just man and the wicked man, and it's not that the just man never falls. That verse is saying that the just man, as a matter of fact, falls seven times. In other words, many times. You know, so, you know, how many times shall my brother uh, offend me? He says, and the Lord says, there isn't a calculator big enough to calculate. <laughs> and though it breaks our hearts, and we don't want to fall into sin, we do fall into sin. And as a matter of fact, that verse tells us that both the just man and the wicked man fall. But as a matter of fact, that verse on the surface, when you look at it, it's just, it's an enigma. You say to yourself, what? When the verse says, just this, this, this phrase, a just man falleth seven times, we say, wait a minute, what do you mean? How can you say that a just man falleth? I mean, how can a just man be just and fall seven times? How can a just man fall seven times in his faith? How can a just man fall seven times into sin? What does that sound like when you, when, when you say, uh, uh, you look at that and you say, that's a description of a just man? He falls seven times? But the difference between the just man and the wicked man is that the just man rises up again. And that just man gets up again. That just man knows very well the Acts 2021 road. And that Acts 2021 road is a road of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the just man is a man who is a man of continual repentance. He's a man who continually is putting his faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then the question is, how can a man who falls seven times, how can you call that man a just man? We saw that before with Lot. It's, it's because he's part of the many, the group that's called the many, that are described in Isaiah 53, 11, where it says he shall see the travail of his soul, the father's gonna see the travail of God, the son's soul. He'll be satisfied. And then the father says, by his knowledge, by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, shall my righteous servant 
justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He's just because he's one of the many who have been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just because he's put his trust in the travail of the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ when he bore our sins on the cross. He died for us on the cross. So Abraham, as a truster in Jehovah Jesus, was justified. Therefore, God calls us just even though we fall, even though he fell, even though we fell, and you and I are trusters. We are trusters in the Jehovah Jesus, and he calls us just even though we fall. So specifically, how was Abraham able to cope with this and rise up again after all that happened to him in Genesis 21? He rises up again, and he meditates. He does it because he meditates, and he sets within the nest of his mind this thought of the everlastingness aspect of God. And it'd be good for us. We could, it'd be good for us. Write this verse. You know, the, He calls on the name of the everlasting God of the Lord, the everlasting God. We should write that on the mirrors of our bathrooms. So we look at that instead of us. (laughs) Or on the dashboards of our cars. Abraham called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. What do we do when we get grieved, when we get frustrated, when we get hurt? We should do what Abraham did in verse 33. Call on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. We should do what it says in verse 33, verse 33. Not, not the part about planting trees. You know, some of us, if we have so many troubles and frustrations, we'd make a forest of trees or planting trees every time we... Mm. So, <laughs> so coming off the heels of so much grief in, verse, in chapter 21, so much sorrow, so many lies, what does Abraham do? He calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. That particular name of the Lord as the everlasting God. It just seems to put everything right in perspective, the everlastingness. He wasn't a believer, President Roosevelt, but he used to have this habit with his, his cabinet where when they would be t- faced with a really tough situation, they'd go on the roof of the White House, and he was a cigar smoker, so he'd pass out cigars, and for an hour he said that nobody said a word, they just looked up at the sky and the stars to smoke their cigars for an hour. And they looked up there, and then, and then they looked at all that. They said, now we've got things in perspective. Let's go down and solve the problems. <laughs> so that's what is seeing this, seeing our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the eternal God. He makes our trials just dwarf. They just deflate as we think about the eternity of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, in the light of his glory. What light of his glory? The glory of his eternity. His eternity as the Lord, the everlasting God, as we saw in John 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The glory of the Lord as the everlasting God is seen in verse 3 of John 1. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. That's what Abraham did in verse 33. As he turned his eyes upon Jehovah Jesus, he looked full in his wonderful face, And the things of Sarah, the things of Hagar, the things of Ishmael, the things of Abimelech, they grew strangely dim in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ's eternity, in the light of him as the everlasting God. So now we come to this chapter 22, and ignoring the chapter break, because they were added, ignoring the chapter break, and we look at verse 1 as a continuum of what we just read, where it says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto Abraham, and and he said, behold, here I am. 
Now, those first words in the opening verse there are very important where it says, and it came to pass after these things. What things? The things we just were talking about in Genesis 21. So going through all that Abraham went through in chapter 21, we've barely wiped our brow and said, oh man, it caught our breath. When we read these words, it came to pass after these things. And maybe we'd like to read something like this. It came to pass after these things that Abraham went down to a resort in Elot. <laughs> and there he was sunbathing and relaxing on the beach. You know, that, that, That's maybe nice. Or if we were writing this about Abraham, we know ourselves would say, and it came to pass that he, he went to Hawaii for some R&R, something like that. But after all, Abraham is over 100 years old. And, you know, it's maybe like uh, time for enough with all this aggregation, av- av- aggravation. It's not aggregation. They are aggregated, but I mean to say aggravation. I'm getting aggravated now trying to say the word aggravation. <laughs> all right. But Abraham now is about to face the trial of his life and to emphasize that it's not time for Abraham to rest God puts in these very important words in verse 1, it came to pass after these things. Emphasis on these. And we should never think because we've gone through some rough trials that our trials are ended. You know, we talked about before like, this, like the, um, uh, the Shogun Samurai, the Samurai proverb says, a- a- after a great victory, tighten your helmet straps, right, brother? Uh, that's how it says something like that, you know. Don't correct me if it's wrong. <laughs> uh, tighten your helmet straps. And that's similar to what the king of Israel said, but he wasn't a samurai. But nevertheless, the king of Israel said to King Ben-Hadad in Syria in 1 Kings 20.11, the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth, girdeth on his harness boast himself as he takes it off, puts it off. And there are two times... When we, are, when, we're, when we think we're stable and we won't be moved, one is here after a series of trials when we would say, oh boy, the storm has passed and um, it'll be clear, it's got to be clear sailing from here on out. I mean, you know, it, it, that wasn't the case with Abraham. And the other case is when times are good. When we look outside like this weekend and, and, and we say, boy, sunshine in San Diego, all is well, nothing can go wrong. That's what King David described in Psalm 30, verse 6, when he said, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Well, here he was moved. Three weeks ago, Cheryl, my wife, you know, she was running around getting ready for all the family to meet for, at our house for Easter dinner. You know, we looked at you and said, there's nothing wrong. All looked well. One week later, she's in Grossmont Hospital with acute myeloid leukemia, AML. She's fighting for her life. The lesson here is that we need to always be prepared for verse 1 of chapter 22. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. As it says in Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. What a day has been. All right, so now we read these next important words. It says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, said unto him Abraham, and so forth. So that verse does not read, it doesn't read this way. It came to pass after these things that Abraham was tempted. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say it came to pass after these things that the devil did tempt Abraham. It doesn't say that. 
the verse says very clearly, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. So the verse is making it very clear that God tempted Abraham. There's no question about it. That's what it says. And when I emphasize that, God did tempt Abraham. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how could God tempt Abraham? It says in James through 1.13, let no man say when he's tempted of God, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So, I mean, how do you put those together? I mean, it says in James, God doesn't tempt. It says in Genesis, God tempts. So how do you do that? Well, it all boils down to the Hebrew word that's used here. It's translated tempt. It's the word nasah. And nasah, really, it's better to use the word test or prove. As a matter of fact, nasah is actually translated prove in Deuteronomy 8.2, where the Lord was speaking to Israel, and he says, thou shall remember, what Moses was, thou shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble thee, to prove thee, nasah, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. See, in that context, God said he led the Jewish people to wander around in the desert for 40 years. Why? So that they could be humbled. Why? So that he could nasah, he could prove them, and so he could know what was really down in their heart. As Pastor Jim used to say about what a person does when he gets upset, you find out what's in the glass when the glass is shaken. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. So the only way for God to prove or to test what was, what's in the heart, what's in the heart of Abraham, what's in the heart, is through these tough situations, these hard circumstances that he goes through. And God is constantly proving. He's constantly testing us by hard situations so that what's concealed in the heart can be revealed, can be brought out. He's constantly shaking the glass. And now, the difference is that when the devil tempts, he tempts with the goal of, or in order to, destroy. That's what the devil does. But the difference is is that when God proves or tests, he does it with the goal of, or in order to, crown, to crown us. See, that's what it means when it says in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, where Peter said, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness, through manifold, boy, Abraham sure had that, manifold temptations, manifold, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, that's God's goal with the trial, so that at the end, we might be found unto the praise and honor and glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ. As Job said, Job said this verse, which is right now Cheryl's favorite verse in the hospital, Job 23.10. He knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's God's goal with trials, for us to come forth with gold. Not just any gold, but gold tried in the fire, as it says in Revelation 3.18. Gold tried in the fire. Now, then we read the next words in verse 1, which are, he said unto Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now we see in this verse how God called Abraham by his name. Now that was something for Abraham. Imagine, you know, you're Abraham, and you hear God call you by your name. He hears him say, Abraham. And just hearing God say your name, 
is it, it brought such a wonder to Abraham, such a thought. He knows my name. He knows my name. He just called me by my name. God, the, the everlasting God, the eternal God, he just called my name. You know, we have such a special relationship with God, and we have a, such a special relationship with this book, the Bible, that, that the lost don't have. And so for us, the Bible is how God speaks to us, and when we're all alone with God and we open the Bible, we read a verse, and it just seems to lodge in our soul, and it comes with, some, with a meaning to us. It speaks to us. That's God speaking to us. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, it's like God, God is then calling us by our name. It's like calling our name. He said, and sometimes people will say, you know, they come to church and, and they think the, the person is preaching just to him. That's God calling to him with Abraham. As he said, as the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 10, 2 through 4, he said, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, the sheep hear his, sheep hear his voice. That's what it says. The sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, the sheep follow him. They know his voice. See, they know his voice. He calls them by name. That makes them his sheep. Our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, he speaks to us through the Bible. When he does speak to us, we hear his voice. We hear his voice. When we hear the voice of our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his words become so personal to us that is as if he's calling our name. He's calling, he knows our name. And so verse one, when Abraham heard God call his name, wonderful thought, he knows my name. We read in the Bible, and, and, and when we get this impressed, we'd say, he knows my name. Now, we read that Abraham said that after God called his name, it says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, said unto Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, in the Hebrew, the word translated here I am is the word hineni, hineni. So this calling of God to Abraham and Abraham's response, it wasn't this, it wasn't this, you know, it wasn't God saying like he lost a set of keys, you know, and now where is that Abraham? I lost Abraham, I just lost, I can't, I misplaced Abraham, you know, I don't know where he is right now, and so Abraham, you know, and there we are, and I can't find you, and then Abraham says, you know, he nanny, it doesn't mean I'm over here, I'm over here, see me now? No, that's not what it means. So when God called Abraham, it was as if God was saying really to Abraham with the, you know, not where are you, but he was really saying to him, are you ready? See, that was the implication behind God calling to Abraham. Abraham, are you ready for the next chapter in your life? And when we see that God's call to Abraham was really an are you ready, Abraham, then we can see the meaning of the word hineni because hineni then drives us to see that it really means I am ready. That's what it means. Hineni means I am ready. It means it's sort of like at your service. You know, it's sort of like, you know, in the military, you know, reporting for duty. That's Hineni. Hineni is an expression of readiness, an expression of I'm hearing, I'm listening, I want to listen, I want to hear, I'm obeying, I want to obey. That's Hineni. So by saying Hineni, Abraham was saying to God, yes, Lord, I'm listening. I want to hear you because I want to obey you. It's an expression of the heart that it wants to hear, it wants to obey. And Abraham, you could just say, he's a Hineni man. And that's why why this term Hineni is so important for us as Christians. Because the meaning of Hineni in the sense of, yes, sir, reporting for duty, that should be our expression. 
as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we're Hineni people. You can call her us Hineni. And this is not the only place in the chapter where Abraham has said this Hineni. So actually, it's the first time in the Bible where this is used, Hineni. But when Isaac turns to his father, Abraham says in verse 7, he, he, he says, when Isaac says, my father, then Abraham responds, not with a cold, what do you want, boy? <laughs> doesn't do that, you know. He, but Abraham responds with a very warm, Hineni, my son. So how can I serve you, my son? I'm ready to serve you. And in that sense, Abraham knew the question beforehand. He already knew what Isaac was going to ask. You know, it was, it was obvious. You know, everything was being prepared to, for a sacrifice, and everything's there, and the lamb wasn't there. Abraham didn't walk away and say, I wonder if he'll notice no lamb. I mean, you know, it's like, a, you know, you've got to give him more credit for that. So Abraham already knows what Isaac's going to ask. In verse 7, Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and, when, and he knew what the question's going to be, but he says, He ain't he, my son. I am going to serve you, my son. I'm going to do my, I'm going to real, I'm going to give myself for you, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, how, how would Abraham, he already knew what the question could be. How would he ever respond to this heartbreaking question of Isaac when he knew Isaac's question before even Isaac asked it? And he responds with a hineni. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.